Hi, I'm Graham McLennan, and thank you for joining Chef-Timoni on the road from one of the craziest food cities I've ever seen, Las Vegas, Nevada. It might be in the harsh climate of the Mojave Desert, but Las Vegas also attracts some of the best chefs on the planet. Let's get started. Talking to chefs, and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. It's Chef-Timoni. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. In 2014, I was in Las Vegas for a few days, and I kept coming back to the same restaurant for brunch, the Bouchon Bistro in the Venetian Resort Hotel Casino. I can explain why really simply. Bouchon had the best brunch I had found in Las Vegas. It also has a room that I found, and still do, really inviting. There's a beautiful zinc bar that runs almost the full length of the restaurant. In front of the bar are the restaurant tables, and behind the bar, behind a mirror and a wall, is the kitchen. Since I was often having brunch on my own on that trip, I sat at the bar and I got to chatting with the bartenders, who were very friendly and very good at their jobs. They even knew how to mix a delicious Caesar, which is a drink that's pretty hard to find outside Canada. Nearing the end of my stay, I knew I had one full day ahead of me in Vegas with no real plans, and I wondered if the request I had made of Bishop's Restaurant in Vancouver, asking the chef to come in to help out the kitchen team, could work here. So I asked Melissa behind the bar whether Bouchon ever had visiting cooks come in as a stage. A stage or stagiaire is simply the French term for someone who volunteers or apprentices in a kitchen to learn the craft. The word is a verb, too. Doing a volunteer shift is staging or doing a stage. Anyway, Melissa suggested that I speak to Chef Josh when he came in that afternoon. So I came back to the restaurant at 2 o'clock and out came Chef from the kitchen. We had a talk in the restaurant's lounge area, and I explained the favor I was asking and what experience I had. And by this point, years after my start as a volunteer at Bishop's, I actually had some experience. By 5 o'clock that same afternoon, I was back at Bouchon, putting on a chef's jacket and joining the team. And what an experience. I won't go into a lot of detail here because I've written a blog post about my second shift at Bouchon, which was back in 2015, and that gives a good sense of my experience in the kitchen. Suffice it to say, I'm a big fan of the way they do things at Bouchon. You can read that blog post at cheftimony.com. Since that first shift in 2014, I've been back to Bouchon several times, both as a stage in the kitchen and as a happy guest in the dining room. And on a very recent trip to Las Vegas, I had another fun day in the kitchen working with a great team, including Chef Daniel Ontiveros, who is the executive sous chef, Chef Tanya, a sous chef, and my new friend Chef Neil, who shared his first course station with me during service and helped me with the finer points of searing foie gras. The day after that most recent shift, my girlfriend and I went to Bouchon for dinner, and there's a really, really good story in that experience that perhaps I'll share in a future episode. But today's focus is on my talk with Chef Joshua Crane. To set the stage for that interview, we met up with Chef Josh and his wife Rachel a couple of days after the fantastic dinner we had at Bouchon. And we saw some of Las Vegas that perhaps not many visitors to the Vegas Strip get to see. Josh and Rachel took us first to the Pioneer Saloon, about a half hour from the Strip, and I highly recommend you look it up. It's been there since 1913. There are actual bullet holes in the wall, and it's the place where Clark Gable stayed for three days while he waited for word about his wife, Carol Lombard, before he learned that she had died with all aboard a flight that had taken off from Las Vegas. The Pioneer Saloon, it's got real history. It's completely unlike the Vegas Strip, and in my view, it's wonderful. So after a beer at the Pioneer, we went to Josh and Rachel's house in Henderson for some beautiful snacks and a glass of wine around the fire pit in their backyard. 
And I got to visit with Chef for the first time, really, outside the kitchen at Bouchon. And not surprisingly, as someone who is so dedicated to the craft of cooking, Josh has other interests that he pursues with passion, too. It turns out the chef is a woodworker who recently built a beautiful oak staircase in his home and also a wonderful and huge picture frame out of reclaimed barnwood for his wife. I learned that Josh is also a music fan with a killer stereo and a serious vinyl collection, including his favorite Canadian export, Neil Young. Chef and I sat down and spoke about his experience in Las Vegas and what brought him here to the desert, and about his early days from cooking school at the Culinary Institute of America, also known as the CIA, in New York, to working his way through the ranks of the original Bouchon restaurant in Yountville, California. Before we get to the interview, a bit of background on Bouchon and some of the industry terms that Josh uses in our interview. Bouchon is one of several restaurants created by chef Thomas Keller, probably best known for the French Laundry in Yontville, California. The French Laundry opened in 1994, and it's widely recognized as one of the best restaurants in the world. It's been awarded three Michelin stars, which is as good as it gets, and it has received many, many other accolades and awards. In 1998, Thomas Keller opened the original Bouchon in Yontville, just steps from the French Laundry. Now, a Bouchon in France is a type of restaurant in Lyon serving traditional foods in a really fun and convivial atmosphere. And Bouchon Thomas Keller's restaurant, both the California one and the Las Vegas one, serve delicious French bistro food. Think about the kind of food you'd crave on a cold night or after a long, hard day of work. That might be French onion soup or steaming mussels or fresh-baked bread. And you'll know what Bouchon does really well. Bouchon in California received a Michelin star itself, which again is a huge achievement. Chef Josh worked his way through positions at the California Bouchon very quickly to take over as the chef de cuisine at that restaurant well before he came to Las Vegas. The chef de cuisine is the chef responsible for all day-to-day -day operations of the restaurant, basically the head of the team at any given location. You'll hear Josh speak of other kitchen positions, sous chef, or simply sous, and executive sous or exec sous for the executive sous chef, commis, which is spelled C-O-M-M-I-S, and that's a junior member of the team. You'll hear Josh speak of covers as well, which is the restaurant term for individual diners. So a cover is one person at a table. If four people go to dinner, that might be one table, but it's also four covers. Chef also mentions TKRG, which is the Thomas Keller Restaurant Group. During our interview, Josh spoke about working at the two Bouchon locations and what it's like to be part of that larger team, TKRG, that spans from California to Nevada to New York. We spoke about a really interesting feature in the Bouchon kitchens, which is a large TV screen that links the two restaurants during service, so that all of the chefs in California and Nevada can see what everybody is doing. Okay, let's get to Henderson, Nevada, and to the home of Rachel and Josh Crane for my interview with the chef de cuisine of Bouchon, Las Vegas. Chef, first of all, thank you for joining me, and thanks for being on Cheftimony. Absolutely, my pleasure. Can you give the listeners, please, Chef, a sense of the scale of Bouchon and what it is you're doing there? If you can, walk us through a typical day, if there's anything like a typical day at Bouchon in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, this, this one, I, I was fortunate to work at the original Bouchon in Yountville for better part of nine years, and, and that was kind of what we always called the little engine that could. It was about 65 seats inside, maybe 15 outside. Very tiny, and, and this one here in Las Vegas is about 180 seats inside, another 60 outside. So we could fit about three of the originals <laughs> in your premises here. in in this space. Correct. So, I, I mean, typical Vegas is always 
based around convention business. So there's a convention, we're super busy. If there's not, it can be a little bit quieter. So we can be anywhere from one day doing 150 covers for dinner to doing 500 covers for dinner. Wow. (laughs) Which is a big, big swing. It is a big swing. And it's, um, you know, and we can do 500 for two or three days. And then the next day we're back to 140 or 150 or 170. So the word typical is may not necessarily be able to be used, but we really just take it as it comes. And, sure. and it comes with a lot of planning, a lot of forethought. And, you know, we always use the term with us collaboration. And, and it takes that collaboration from from all the managers and, and the chefs and, and even the team to sometimes it's just figure out how do we get through this week? Right. How do we successfully operate this week? And for the next three days, this is what we have. We speak about it for weeks leading up or the w- few days ahead. And we just head into it together and figure out this is what we have to do to be successful and to give the best experience to the guest. And that's something we were talking about just a few moments ago as we were sitting around the fire here and having a, you know, a really informal chat. But I found that interesting. Your commitment to the industry comes from a feeling you get out of serving the guests and making their day a little better. Maybe you could tell the listeners about the pre-shift meeting that you were describing to us and uh, sort of the inspiration for doing what you do. Yeah. I mean, today was was Easter, so typically I, I work the dinner shift, but being Easter and, and today was the first day that we tried a prefix menu for our brunch service. And our brunch service is, is a beast of its own. I mean, we average on the weekend six, seven, maybe 800 covers which is is a healthy it's a healthy, healthy amount number of covers. you know driving in this morning and, and sometimes you have those thoughts just driving into work or riding the train to work or whatever but i was singing this morning of it's really crazy that what we do is wake up at four in the morning or five in the morning to come in and, and spend two hours getting ready to serve breakfast to 700 people. Right. And it's not normal by any standard. <laughs> no. But there's kind of two options in this is is one, it could be a job for you. And yeah. if it is, I mean, it, it, it could be a struggle at times. But for, for most of us in this business and, and at this level, what we do is, and Thomas talks about this all the time, is it's a craft. Yes. What we do is a craft. It's, it's not a job, it's a craft, which means we're able to continue to learn throughout the length of time that we do this. And... At the end of the day today, our goal is to give, to make people happy, to give memories. So, you know, we wake up at four in the morning to, in the end, make people happy. It's fulfilling to know that you make people happy and to see people walk out with a smile on their face and is great. This point about making people happy is a really important one. And young as Chef Timoni is, I'm encouraged to find that it's a theme among the chefs I'm talking to. Having worked in both law and cooking, I can say the careers are similar in one key way, which is that they are both plain hard work. They're also both glamorized for some reason, with TV shows dedicated to celebrity chefs and endless shows about fictional lawyers. A couple of years ago, I had a funny experience while working on the line at Burdock & Co., One of the other cooks asked me whether being a lawyer in real life was like being a lawyer on TV. I thought about that for a minute, about how to best answer the question, and then said, well, real law work is about as similar to TV law as working as a line cook is to being a celebrity chef on TV. The poor guy's face fell, but it's true. There's no good TV show to be built around 12 hours of document review or 12 hours of vegetable prep. There is just hard work. So that brings me back to Josh's point about making people happy. 
You can love working with food, but to get through those 12-hour or longer days, there has to be something more. And how fantastic that in cooking, it can be making people happy, giving them great memories. All right, let's get back to Chef Josh. And in this part of the interview, I talked to Chef about his start in the industry. Well, let's go back, please, Chef, to certainly before Las Vegas and to earlier days. Can you, can you tell the listeners about when the idea of cooking professionally first came up for you? I grew up in a family from both sides with good cooks. Nobody really professional. Mother's side was, was Czech and German. Father's side was German and Irish. But both sides had good cooks and enjoyed food, enjoyed wine. Maybe the wine a little too much sometimes. <laughs> but um, I, I never enjoyed school. The study aspect, I needed to be doing something with my hands. Mm-hmm. So my first job was as a busboy. And I did that in a restaurant that was the nicest restaurant in town. The owner was friends with my grandfather. And I was in some weird way attracted to the weirdos in the kitchen more than I was the, the guys in the front. Front of those, okay. So I just, I, there was some gravitational pull that pulled me back to those guys in the back that were, you know, back in the day when you could smoke online and, you know, you put your cigarette on the stove and played a couple of dishes. A couple and figured, dishes, picked it back up. Yeah, so it, it just, I don't know. There was, there was an excitement about it. There was the rush of that and... A year later, I started kind of moving into prep for them and prepping for banquets, things like that. And another year or two went by, and I was supposed to be a rock star. Okay. Hey. But <laughs> me too, and it just, somehow it didn't pan out for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know what happened. I said to myself, it's like, well, maybe I don't want to suffer those many years being okay. poor and whatever, trying to be a rock star. But yeah. And were you playing in a band at the time? Were you doing some playing? I was in and out of a couple, yeah. yeah. And so I decided, well, at some point I needed a job, and sure. I... I I figured I needed to do something. So cooking was the only thing I'd done. I had done, honestly, chilies and Olive Garden and Dairy Queen and Kentucky Fried Chicken and and this other restaurant. And, and I finally decided, well, I should probably do something with my life. And yep. so I decided to go to culinary school. I went to the Culinary Institute in, in New York. And really, the rest is history. I just, it was, I had found my people yeah, to, yeah. to say. So did that and graduated I wasn't going back to Illinois. I knew that much. Right. There was nothing okay. much yeah. there. Okay, nothing pulling you back. I had a couple of friends who were from San Francisco in school. Mm-hmm. I loaded up my truck and I moved out west. Beautiful. <laughs> and where did you land on the culinary side in, in California? Uh, I actually ended up at Greystone, which is part of CIA yes. in St. Helena. Met there, ultimately, who would turn into being my mentor, which was, his name is Jeff Cerciello. He was working there and then... I left and, and went to Atlanta for four months, found out that I really didn't like Atlanta, moved back, ended up opening, helping open Dean and DeLuca okay. in San yeah. Helena, yeah. their first kind of outcrop there. Chef and I talked a little bit more about early days, and then he circled back to the start of the path that ultimately brought him to Las Vegas. I reached a point at which, again, I, I said to myself, I need to do something a little more serious. Right. I want to. Okay. Calistoga is great. We had fun. Mm-hmm. I needed something more. So I went and joined Bouchon a year and a half into their being open. And the rest, honestly, is history at that right. point. And take the listeners through, Chef, if you would, your, your experience at Bouchon. Because you really, you, you worked through some of the ranks there, at least, and then up into the CDC position. Yeah, it was a rather quick climb. A couple months into it, I became sous chef. About a year after, became executive sous chef. And then a little bit of time after that, Jeff's kind of started pulling out. We were getting ready to open Bouchon Las Vegas. We were also writing our cookbook. So 
I was able to kind of really take over the reins there as CDC from Jeff as he was dealing with everything outside of the restaurant. He really guided me through all of that, and and it was it was a really magical time, and and we still. I'll still speak to some of the people who were there at that time. And it was just one of those very special times that if you're lucky to have at a job that you can look back on and say, I'm probably never going to have that again. Right, right. There are times in our lives when we're, we're looking back at really what were the good old days. Exactly. It was the right group of people at the right time. And all we were focused on was in the kitchen was making good food and having, honestly, having as good a time as we could doing yeah. it. Yeah. And... There are trials and tribulations, as with anything, but six and a half years later, I resigned my position. My father was ill at the time, and honestly speaking, I was burnt out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were working crazy hours, but I had gone through it to that point. What were all the visits and and work towards a Michelin star? When did that happen? We were awarded the Michelin star, I believe it was in October, but I had left in July. Okay. So... I wasn't there when we got the star, but I was working crush at Rubicon Winery. And I remember getting a call from one of my previous sous chefs, Chris, and he told me, he's like, chef, we got our star. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great, congratulations. But it wasn't, I wasn't there. Right. So, you know, later that night we had a party at Ad Hoc because at that same day, French Lottery had gotten their three stars. Right. Bouchon yeah. had gotten its star. And I just remember being at the party and everyone was there and all, you know, colleagues and everyone we had worked with for those years building up to it. And Thomas came up to me and he kind of put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, you know, that's your star. Uh, I said, yes, chef, I do. Uh, and it was, it was really nice. Yeah. It was yeah, just a moment. Well, good for him and good for you. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, that star wasn't mine though. I mean, it was, I had a piece of that pie. Sure. But that star was built by three generations of people who had gone through that restaurant, building it to where it got to. And it couldn't have been done with just necessarily that crew that was there at that time. It was literally, it was those six years of building and focus and and collaboration and working together to get us to where we we're able to achieve that. Where you finally, yeah, yeah, where you finally got the recognition and the award. Absolutely. Yeah. That brings to mind another question, which is it sort of flows out of both your description of that experience and you mentioned going to the Culinary Institute in New York and then later working at Greystone, which is a Culinary Institute place in California. And I guess my question is what are your thoughts on the cooks coming out of culinary school these days? Because you'd mentioned this progression and a series of different teams and building over years to achieve something. And I get the sense from some chefs these days, sort of yearning for the good old days when people started at the apprenticeship role and worked their way through the positions and really committed to the industry and committed to the craft. And I wonder now if that's changing and what you're observing in students coming out fresh out of culinary school and the attitudes toward the industry. Is anything changing on, the, on that front? Hmm. <laughs> How should I word this? Yeah. Um, I would say yes, for sure. One thing I've learned, though, being able to work in Bouchon, Yaoville in 2000 versus working in Bouchon, Las Vegas in, in 2018, it's unfair to try and say we should be now what we were then, eight should, years ago. Right, compared that, to the eras. That's unfair. Yeah. I do think that Younger people these days or younger cooks, 
I think they're expecting too much too soon. Honestly, I felt some of this myself in my rise in within Bouchon Yountville was was pretty quick. I mean, it was literally like three, four months as a cook, and then I was sous chef. Right. Yeah, a year later, I was exec sous. Yeah. A year or so later, I was a CDC. That's a fast rise. Yes. And I think for a long time, I felt that I almost went too fast myself, ah. that I wasn't able to really enjoy the journey of it. Yeah. You know, Take you're always... Take each station. Exactly. You're always focused on what's next, what's next. And that is part of what we do is we're always pushing for, for the next thing, but should really be able to try and enjoy the process mm-hmm. and make sure that you learn how to, again, for those of us who this is not a job, but a craft, craft is about learning that craft and practicing that craft yes. and practicing. I mean, I, I tell cooks all the time in, in interviews and I ask them a couple of questions through the interview, trying to gauge certain ideas. But I always tell them, it's like, the six and a half years I was in Yountville, I think I saw probably, I figured it out, I saw about 4,000 legs of lamb go through that restaurant. In my time here in Las Vegas in the last five years, I've seen about another 4,000 legs of lamb. Yeah. But as I watch, I can step back tomorrow and walk back into the Comey kitchen and observe our butcher Alberto breaking down lamb. I still get an excitement on now whatever, my 9,000th leg of lamb. Right. On I can s- Exactly. I still get excited about seeing that and, and still can this day see things in a new light and see, oh, you know what? I never saw that, the way that silver skin went through that piece or, you know, how he's flaying this. So that's that's the part we need to be able to really grasp onto and that's the enjoyment. Right, right. And it's where you can build and build for the, for the whole of the career. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. for sure. Well, Chef, please take us through a few of your stops in Las Vegas. So we're leaving California now. Did you come f- direct from California to Las Vegas? Yes. Yeah. And where did you start in this city? In Knob Hill Tavern. And that's in the MGM? It was in MGM. It is no longer there, but it was there for a long time. Originally opened by Charlie Trotter, that space. And then Michael Mina took it over. I came at a time when they were making a big change. They were more based kind of fine dining Mm-hmm. style and this was in 09 early 09 so it was kind of that time where everything a lot of things were shifting from fine dining to more the casual and that would be connected um, at least in part to the financial absolutely going on. Yeah. yep so it really kind of fit into my wheelhouse of what i've done i mean it was there was american food mm-hmm. but it was american food in the style of what a french bistro is so the food itself was very similar to to what i know and I've never touted myself as being a fine dining chef by any means because I've never worked that. So I, I know what I know. And the menu was, was steaks. I mean, there was a burger. There was chicken and dumplings, salmon, you know, Caesar salad, a mixed green salad. Just very simple and kind of comfort food. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was very similar to what I've always done. Right. So it was, it was comfortable. And, and Michael is a, is a fantastic chef smart as they come yeah just knows food and and it was great and and we built similar to what i felt at bouchon over those years we built that but we built it with our general manager who's who's a great friend and ed tracy Mm -hmm. and one of the execs at knob hill is now with the breakfast chef at bouchon um, aaron and you know Daniel, who is now my exec sous at Bouchon, was my first sous chef that I hired at Knob Hill. Right. Oh. So there's this very kind of familial 
feel. It was a great experience. And then you made a couple of other stops, some names I've seen associated with your name, Sea Blue and American Fish. Yeah, Sea Blue was kind of the last year of Knob Hill is kind of Knob Hill and Sea Blue both in MGM. Okay. Yeah. In Sea Blue, we kind of made a shift in, in direction with the menu. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Michael had foresight that Knob Hill was kind of coming to an end that I didn't necessarily see and offered me the position at American Fish, which was great. I mean, and I owe everything to him to, you know, have the respect for me to say, you know what, I'm saving you in a right. sense. Yes, yeah, and, and here's a good spot for you. Absolutely, and, and I'm forever grateful. You know, American Fish was was great. It was in a new hotel, a new casino. It was a hard run there. I mean, yeah. it was hard work. It was, I remember my last week, we were actually doing kind of another a shift in menus there. And I remember my last week there, before going back to Bouchon, I, I think I butchered a literal ton of fish. Wow. In a week. In a week. It was intense. But the whole MGM and, and Michael Mina was experience was great because it it I was thrown out of my comfort zone yeah. of TKRG for six and a half years mm-hmm. into a world that I had no idea about. Right. Right. Zero. And, and again, you're back to apprenticing in a new environment, learning the ropes and, and developing the craft. Exactly. And and learning a new skill set, which is great. And and I didn't know that, but I understand it better now. And then, you know, the opportunity came to kind of make a return back to Bouchon and and Thomas called and I mean Bouchon is is family for me. And yeah. I mean as is is Michael Mina for sure, but there's just you know, I mean I was I got engaged while I was at Bouchon, I got married and my Wedding was catered by Bouchon. I've <laughs> had deep roots with it. Yeah, yeah. countless <laughs> anniversary dinners and and fights in the restaurant with my wife and planning wedding in the in the restaurant. And, and so, it's such a big part of me that it was just something I couldn't say no to. Right, right. Well, and maybe you can comment a little bit, Chef. You've mentioned Thomas, of course, Thomas Keller and TKRG Thomas Keller Restaurant Group. Tell us a bit what it's like working within one restaurant but that's part of a bigger group the symbol that comes to mind for me is the television screen in the kitchen here in las vegas that connects to the original bouchon in, in yonville yeah it, the tv started i think originally between the french lawn and per se when thomas opened per se and, and it was really a way to have a make sure that we kept a, a connection with each other it's important because you know it, thomas instills in us to remember that we aren't just the 220 employees in Las Vegas. But we're part of, I don't know, a 1,000 or 1,100 person group of people working towards that same goal, which is a great experience for our guests. Right. And the TV is great. I mean, I, I still see people on the TV that I worked with 10 years ago. Back you know, there's California. there's a, a waitress, Shallon, that she's been there, I think, from day one, if not day one, maybe... A hundred days in or so. Yeah. One of the hosts, Tony Prince. And, you know, but it's even to see, you just look up every now and then, you see, you know, one of our colleagues, or you know, Chef Ross or Chef Dave, and it's like, oh, I meant to ask him something. So you pick up the phone and because you saw them on the TV, on the TV and you pick up the anyway. phone, you know, they're there. Yeah. And you just, hey, Chef, what's going on? And, you know, you may talk about something or questions. And it's great having that breadth of knowledge. One of the things I particularly like about TKRG, the Thomas Keller Restaurant Group, is this focus on collaboration. It's clearly important to Chef Josh on a day-to-day level, working with a team beyond his own restaurant and having access to that larger pool of knowledge. But TKRG extends this collaboration beyond the day-to-day. 
One example is the success the group had at the 2017 Bocuse d'Or culinary competition. The Bocuse d'Or is like the Olympics for professional chefs, and for the first time in 30 years, the USA won the gold medal in 2017. And it was a chef from Thomas Keller's Per Se restaurant in New York who won the prize. But the competition is never just about one chef, and Matthew Peters, the young chef from Per Se, had mentorship, training, and support from people throughout the Thomas Keller restaurant group to help him make it to the gold. In our talk, Chef Josh spoke about the focus the group puts on getting team members together, even though it's time-consuming and expensive to do that. What comes from it, though, seems to be an ever-larger sense of community and commitment. So here's Chef speaking about the team meetings in the group. We do quarterly or you know three times a year meetings, mm-hmm. chef meetings and menu meetings where we discuss and cook and plate the dishes that we or changes that we want to do for the next season. It's just it's great having those times and, and being able to step back every now and then at those meetings and look around and say, Man, I'm surrounded by some pardon my French, but some badasses. Right. You right. know <laughs> it's we're just surrounded by so much talent and the fact that Thomas takes the effort and the monetary wherewithal to allow us to do this. I mean, it's 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 a hit on the restaurant. You know, sure. it's a hit for hotel rooms. It's a hit for airfare, for rental cars. But the benefit for all of us in the long run is, I mean, honestly, I, I think at this point in my career, I'm learning more than I ever have. And it's because of that collaboration. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the traditions I know that Chef Thomas maintains and you maintain, I, I assume throughout the restaurant group, is family meal. And that seems to me like another instance of the same philosophy, keeping people together. Yes. That, right? Yeah. Family meal is important. We do, we do three family meals a day. There's a breakfast, there's a lunch, there's a dinner. And it's just, it's important to keep us, I mean, one, nourished. Sure. From a physical standpoint. Yeah, because you're working some long days. Nourished also, you know, from an emotional standpoint, too, of, you know, we're cooking for, for our people, for our own family. You know, it's fun. Sometimes it's a, it's a chance to sometimes also raz people, you know, if they put up a family meal that's a little shady, you're kind of like, come on, chef. I mean, yeah, yeah. really, that's, <laughs> that's the better. best you can do today? Yeah. Okay. You know, and then they come back tomorrow and it's, okay, okay, we got it. Okay, let's make jambalaya today. Uh, right, you know? right. I mean, I mean, what's... It's not so bad having shrimp for for a family meal, right? No, not so bad at all. Not so bad at all. Another question that comes to mind for me is, and it's a Las Vegas-specific question, do you find the sheer size and scale? I mean, you've been here for quite a few years now, so maybe it's becoming a routine for you. But, you know, I was looking at the the Venetian Palazzo website. I counted more than 50 restaurants, and that's in one uh, double property on the Strip. And it just boggles the mind about even supply routes coming in to the kitchen. Is it as different as it feels to me from, say, an operation in California in Yonkville? You know, I can picture the delivery truck pulling up there at that, Bouchon. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these hotels are mazes Yeah. when you get in the back yeah. of house right. side of things. Yeah. You know, you walk into the hotel through the front door and sure, it's beautiful and there's frescoes and facades <laughs> and, and, and beauty, but you get behind the scenes and... I mean, you go up two floors on an elevator, down a you know, hundred yard hallway, down ten more flights of elevators to another hundred yard hallway to a loading dock, and yeah, it's not like there's a lady Connie Green who used to, or still does mushrooms in in Napa. Mm-hmm. It's not like Connie walking up to your back door handing you two boxes of morels. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, this guy just took a ten minute walk right. from the loading the dock. And, and, you know, showing up at our back door. So we're lucky in that 
were run independently. Mm-hmm. So, and the Venetian is independent in, in that, you know, we still do have the ability to have purveyors come right to our door. Okay. So they have to go through this maze. Yeah, um, right to you. Exactly. So that's good. It, it's, it is different for sure. I mean, it's Vegas, so it's the middle of the desert. So you don't have five miles away on Silverado Trail. There's nobody growing strawberries like that, you <laughs> right. know. Yeah. But it is Las Vegas. There's so many restaurants here. There's so many chefs that we can get whatever we want. Right. Whenever right. we want it. The purveyors know that there's a market here. Exactly. I mean, yeah. we want truffles, no problem. Yeah, in the cup. Yeah, I think we just went through... 14 kilos, no, 18 kilos of truffles in the last three months. Wow. So wow. Yeah. We, we can get what we, we get need. get what you need. Exactly. Great. Well, Chef, just a couple more questions. Maybe you could tell the listeners about, you know, from the chaos and madness of the strip to a day off. What's What does a day off look like for you in Las Vegas? It could be woodworking yes. in my garage. Yes, indeed. Which sometimes <laughs> turns into work instead of pleasure. <laughs> instead of fun, yeah. There's a lot to do outside of Vegas. Sure. In, in outdoors. I mean, anything from ATV to, you know, spending a day on the lake or the river, being in a kayak or, or a boat or renting a boat or... It's like really anywhere else. But, I mean, California, there's... You have the coast. I think that's probably the biggest thing we miss here is, sure. is nearness to ocean. Right. You know, we're... Yeah. Though we're... Three and a half, four hours from LA, depending on how fast you want to drive. Right. <laughs> there's the ocean. But no, it's it's different. I mean, once you everyone who works here for the most part lives off the strip. So yeah. once you leave the strip, the glitz and glamour of Las Vegas is history. You know, we live in a great quiet neighborhood. It's it's dark at night. It's you don't you don't sense that you're there. Right. We're ten minutes from Boulder City, which is a great little kind of outcrop outside of las vegas it's kind of middle america-ish there's no gaming there's no you know slot machines anything like that so no it's it's there's a lot of outdoors yeah and then summer comes right (laughs) and then it's into the pool summer is yes either pool or air conditioning (laughs) right right. take your choice but it's there's really only two options (laughs) fair enough and last question, any recommendations for visitors that are just not typical tourist places? So is there a spot near the Strip or near downtown that you would recommend? Maybe that cooks go to after service or just a great place or two to eat that um, you know isn't going to show up in the guidebooks? My first choice is going to be, my wife and I do this very often, is, is our ritual before going to buy records at the yeah. local record store is a place called Goodwitch. Goodwich, okay. Yes, yeah. it's uh, downtown, kind of just a little bit south of Fremont Street, so okay. kind of away from the chaos of what Fremont is. His name is Josh Clark. He was actually a server at Knob Hill when I was there. Okay. He's a good Midwestern boy from Iowa. Yeah. But he started a little sandwich shop, and it was originally in literally, I think, a 100 or 200 square foot little kiosk on a corner, a crappy corner off of downtown Las Vegas. Yeah. But he started making a name for himself, and now he has a brick and mortar. He's getting ready to open his second one. But he does the best sandwiches. Yeah. Anything from like a roasted cauliflower with a butternut puree to, you know, classic Reuben or really anything. And he changes them seasonally. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a great option in Boulder City. Yeah. There's a great place called the Dillinger. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good, really good burgers, wings, grilled artichoke. Nice. Just just simple. Simple stuff. Simple good food. Done well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Chef, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. Pleasure. 
What a great experience, sitting at a kitchen table with a talented chef I now count as a friend, too. I really enjoyed hearing not only about a famous restaurant, but also about what it takes in real life to work up to the chef de cuisine position in a group full of outstanding people, and what it takes to run one of the top restaurants on the Vegas Strip. My thanks to Chef Josh for taking the time to do the interview, and for always being so welcoming when I come to Las Vegas. And Rachel, big thanks to you too for opening your home to us and for spending a super fun afternoon with us, showing us Nevada as we just could not have seen it otherwise. We had a great day with you and we really appreciate it. All right, that's all for episode number two. I'm Graham McLennan and I thank you for spending some time with me here today. I hope to see you here next time on Chef Demoni. <laughs>